0: It has been a season full of twists and turns, and today is no different. Penn State practice wrapped up yesterday. We got to talk to James Franklin afterwards. Some interesting things going on for Penn State football heading into their game against Rutgers. It's Senior Day. I'm here with Senior Editor Nate Bauer. Are you ever going to graduate, Nate? You've been a Senior Editor for a while. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is
1: this is uh, this is year like. 16 of being a super senior so (laughs) so i got Frats Street. i'm crushing it you're like you're like
0: that right there you're like ryan reynolds and van wilder yeah no it's (laughs) some people go to school for eight years yes they're doctors yeah but it's worth it it's a great time (laughs) yeah anyway that's fair point (laughs) um so last yesterday we got to see practice and just i think by happenstance most everyone was down over by with the offense last night checking out what's going on on that side of the ball typically so everyone knows how it, how it works is there's two practice fields and then there's a turf field and the offense works on one and the defense works on the other and then the offensive line works on the turf field cuz they would rip up the practice field if they were on the grass so they're on opposite ends Of the practice facility. And everyone was down with the offense. And it turns out that there was a good reason for that. As we heard yesterday after practice. Multiple starters along the offensive line. Have been missing this week. Nate can you fill us in on what's going on. And what James Franklin said after practice.
1: Yeah so there is a. A non-COVID. Flu. Uh making its way around Penn state's campus. Like it's beyond just football. It's just a lot of students are getting the flu right now. Um, And so what he said last night, what James Franklin said last night was that there have been six players. I believe that have all had flu related symptoms, fevers like that kind of stuff uh, this week and have subsequently missed practice time. And I, I, I can't say don't quote me because I'm speaking into a microphone, but pretty sure that he included Rasheed Mike Miranda, and Caden Wallace all in that group, which. Yeah.
0: You cut out paying slightly. Attention, that's a, that's you cut up slightly. You cut out slightly there. Rasheed Walker, Caden Wallace, Mike Miranda were the three that you mentioned. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, and so there's of,
1: of, of six, of, of six, six. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't notice anybody else like that would have been among those other three. Um, but I again, I mean, I was just on the um, I was just looking at the offensive side of the ball. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, three starting offensive linemen. Oh,
0: <laughs> so there goes. And I said this to Nate off air. was like normally at the end of the show, we do a, a preview of the game. I'll give you what I've seen on film and we can still do that. But any any analysis i have at this point without your starting tackles and one of your starting interior alignment does does it matter <laughs> cuz there are like now we're throwing completely unknown variables into the into the situation james franklin was asked about young players landon tangwall came up so yesterday we spent a good number of minutes watching the offensive line players that were taking one on one drills against the defensive linemen what were your impressions if you saw any of that stuff uh as far as how he was performing in those situations.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, the, and you know, this, the drill is built for the offensive line to lose. There's no help, right? There's no interior help. And so when you've got a tackle up against a shifty defensive end of which Penn state is bountiful, yeah. right? Like they just get beat. So, um, that was that. yeah. I'm always cautious about those kinds of things in the first place, but I thought in particular, you, you know, uh, Zariah Fisher, Arnold Abukaddi, those guys were winning those reps. Yeah. Um, and so that was against all know, of but, the but linemen. Again, just, like just, correct. Yeah. Correct. I mean, it, it was just the, the, across the board. Those guys were, were losing those reps as they probably should when you can't direct anybody toward a guard to, help you with the situation.
0: Yeah, and we'll show you the practice video here in just a little bit. But also, if you want to go watch it, we have a live highlight montage over on our YouTube channel. So if you're listening to this on a podcast version, Blue-Eyed Illustrated video on YouTube. If you want to check that out, we have the practice video. And of course, if you're watching here on YouTube, I'll be pulling it up in a little bit once we get to one of the other topics that came up yesterday, because that starts the video. And that would be... The newly minted backup quarterback, Christian Veyu, sort of. So, fill us in on that situation, what James Franklin said last uh, last night, and what's your read going forward?
1: Yeah, I, I, like, if I'm being honest, there was enough buzz coming out of preseason camp about Veyu that I was a little surprised that James Franklin kind of contextualized the competition as not being that close as though Roberson were the the far and away winner uh it, you know and he said that the August 22 24 something like that right like so a couple of weeks before the start of the season um you know for for them to make that decision now uh I, I think is it was a little bit of a, an inevitability like I, yeah. I just think that, yeah. right? I mean, you saw, you like, I don't know. I I, I saw what I saw. You saw um, Roberson. Just um, uh, it it wasn't good at Iowa. Obviously, in the time since, uh, you know, are you getting better or are you staying the same? And so for for Christian Bayou, who already has tools to work with, and and I think. You know, like I said, had some buzz coming out of preseason camp. Um, you know, it 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 made its point. I, I think that the 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 caveat to all of this is it it was it. Penn State's backup quarterback doesn't matter on this team until it does, right? And so, right, and so like you you are not playing either one of those guys unless you absolutely have to. Sean Clifford on a stretcher, right? Uh, Completely unable to play. Penn State has seen this year that that happened once. And so, um, you know, uh, given the fact that Clifford has been duress through most of the second half of the season in particular, uh, you know, that is a factor that could come into play, uh, like especially in the context of Penn State potentially missing a few Sense of lineman.
0: And it's it also comes into context of, you know, part of the analysis is Rutgers isn't very good. They're a tough physical football team, but they lack explosiveness. They lack playmakers on offense. They lack some critical discipline and talent in the secondary. But if you don't have your offensive line, you're not going to see backup quarterback Christian Veyu come in against Rutgers. That's just, that's going to be part of the story. I guess from, from the... From the long when when I'm looking at this particular topic, and we got some questions coming up in our mailbag segment, it, we'll, we'll kind of answer some of that now because the topic is is paramount coming out of last night. From James Franklin said is so Christian Veiu, what he needed was time. He's got the physical tools. People have been asking and clamoring for more information from me about so what's he like? What does he do? Well, for the most part, this season we've been focusing on Sean Clifford. Now that the team is not going to any relevance. In the in the postseason, the shifting focus now is to the future, based on what everyone's asking about, what everyone's looking at. And Veiu's always had the the physical skills going back to high school, big frame, six foot four, you know, really good whippy arm. I wouldn't say elite arm strength, but he can put velocity on the ball. Uh, but he needed to grow into his frame, and he needed time to learn football. Like he needed to time to mentally digest the game as a guy who came from Canada missed a season because of COVID in high school and is a true freshman that enrolled early to me what the signals is the mental aspect of the game has caught up for Christian value to where he is now, on par with take on Roberson, and his physical skills and his ceiling are higher. So therefore, there's no reason that he is the number three quarterback. If, If they feel that the mental aspect has caught up in the offense for him, which this is the point of going into next season, another question people keep asking is, Drew Aller, play him now. It's not a question, it's a statement that I get from everybody, including some of my close friends, and I'm like, just hold on. If Christian Veyu took until week, what is this, 12 of the college football yep. season to be the yep. backup quarterback, to beat out Taquan Roberson, who we've looked at and I think everyone goes, just doesn't have it. That should give you a timeline of how long it takes to learn the offense. It's been almost a full calendar year that he's been at Penn State as an early enrollee. So that's yep. the football is a hard sport, man. It is a hard sport, From a mental processing standpoint, it took Sean Clifford five years to get to the point where he was operating at an advanced level. It's going to take these kids a while to learn the basics of like, not the basics, but like the basics of the college game before they can get onto the nuanced stuff. So that's what VU, I think to me, that's what this signals is that he's been closing the gap on the mental side and Roberson physically and mentally hasn't taken a leap to that next level of a guy who's been in the program for three seasons. So I think that's where we are, and if you do see Vayu, that then we're going to start evaluating whether or not he can be the starter next year. I think that is a fair conversation to have over the next month or so as it wraps up 2021.
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean, people always point to like other programs who have had True freshmen who made their their first seasons. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Uh, Two things about Justin
0: Fields did not play as a true freshman. He came in in packages. Just and Trevor Lawrence, first off, correct. Exceptional player, right? So exceptional, exception to the rule in certain situations. Also was throwing to T. Higgins and Justin Ross. Also, Hunter Renfro, who is now an NFL receiver in the slot, and had Travis Etienne in the backfield. Like, that's, it's not, and That's my point. It's yeah. not just the
1: quarterback, and they still and those guys still did not start until. I mean, Lawrence didn't start halfway through that season. Yep. So, like it, you just they're unicorns, guys. Like <laughs> they they don't they don't exist in the real world, and so uh, for that to be the expectation. Uh, and obviously, look like Penn State had has a r- relatively recent couple of examples um, in Rob Bolden and Christian Hackenberg both started as as true freshmen. But like I, I think, even in retrospect, if if there were other options that Penn State felt confident in in those situations, they probably would have opted not to do that. Right? Yeah. I How mean, did it's that work be a out? Worst
0: case scenario. How did that work out for Christian Hackenberg? Let me ask yeah, you. Yeah, I mean
1: it, it. It crushed him. It crushed him. Yeah, like there's no, and he had some success his freshman year. I don't think that there's any question about that. But yeah, you know these. It, none of this stuff happens in a vacuum. That's my that's my overarching argument to a lot of this stuff is that what happens in one game does has an impact on the next game. Or right. I mean, and it's, and it's this constant state of building. And so you, you have learned tendencies and what you don't want to do is break the shiny new toy that you got before you know how to use it. And that's like, that's the whole pre is that the toy, the toy and, and it's it to me, it's, and you can speak to this. I'm sure it is the greatest irony Of the NFL that the best quarterbacks all inevitably go to the worst teams. Yeah. (laughs) And so, but like Mac Jones, on the other hand, gets to get to a spot that is, that allows for him, has the pieces around him where you can be, you can have some success. You can experience some success and it allows you to, to, to be pretty good. Right. But like when you when you get into a situation that isn't ready to handle you as as an offense, which look, I I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but Penn State's offense isn't good right now. They're not in a good spot. The the offensive line is not in a good spot. So unless things dramatically change, then you do not want to ruin. Your new, you know, whoever the quarterback is, whether it's, whether it's, uh, or, or Aller. I mean, it's either way. Or to my, in that situation.
0: To my point, too, or Veiu, everybody is looking past Christian Veiu. Everybody. For sure. And, and, and and I think that that's, at least
1: he has that. Yeah. Right. Like, at least, at least, at least he's had this year. Like, but you're in a, you're in a much better spot having him been able to experience a year of development before having to potentially embark on that scenario. That's, that's, the, whole,
0: that's the goal. That is the yeah. goal of having a red shirt year. And he'll have, by the time it gets to fall of 2022, he will have been in Mike Yersich's offense for a year and a half. He will have been developing yep. the strength and conditioning program for two winter cycles. You yep. don't replicate that time. You can't just magically make that different. And if, if, if there is some situation where one of the two young quarterbacks beats him out, based on what we've seen this year, as far as him being able to fight for, contend, and now at this point in the week-to-week battle for the backup quarterback job, be able to take it from a veteran, then those guys, yeah, they're special. And you're right, you got your unicorn. But that's not that shouldn't be plan a so yeah. this is this is a conversation that happens all the time we're going to have this conversation all off season long another conversation we've been having all season and another thing that came up as a, a topic of conversation with James Franklin yesterday was the progress that the program is making and he talked about he said and this is the quote hopefully we can get into some specifics soon So how do you take that? And as somebody who's been a part of this conversation, what is your thought about what soon means?
1: Yeah. um, What soon means is, I, I mean, certainly I don't think it's like imminent necessarily, but I think that he's been laying cookie crumbs out there hinting One, that he would like to remain Penn State's head coach, right? With the caveat of accompanied by a tremendous commitment from the institution Penn State towards its football program. Like, that's the bottom line, is getting all of those things, synergy, alignment, whatever you want to call it, but everybody being diving into the pool and not just diving into the pool, but like unreluctantly, just wholeheartedly getting into it and all wanting the same things. And I think that it has never really been a question of does Penn State football want to win? Right? Like obviously James Franklin does. And I don't think there's any question that the, the, the university, the, the athletic department wants a winning football team. They, they have made strides in those areas to, to demonstrate, um, you know, some of the things that they're willing to do. They, they are willing to have coordinators that make, uh, seven figures, right? Like they're willing to have to, to compete in that space there. They have a project for 47, $8 that is currently underway in the parking lot behind the lash building though. Like they've already made some renovations to the lobby of the lash building and some of the team meeting rooms and, uh, the locker room is new. Like those are, those are all demonstrations of that want. However, there's a lot to do there, there, there really is. There's, there's a lot to do for Penn state to match some of its competitors nationally and when i say some of i mean almost all <laughs> like that is that is not an understatement it, it, this is a nation trend of how programs want to operate and and
0: the commitment that they're demonstrating and, and if you want to see what nate is talking about just peruse his twitter you've been retweeting other universities and their announcements of their facilities renovations. So, if you yeah. want an idea of wh- wh- who we're we talking about, it's not just Ohio State or Clemson, yeah, or Alabama. And there, there, there are
1: YouTube pages, right? Like, yeah. just about this. There, um, it's not gonna come to my head, but maybe link it as like the next video after this, of literally just a dude being toured around oklahoma's facility uh gonzaga basketball like (laughs) all of the top college program i I mean like a 200 million dollar oklahoma state baseball renovation like i i mean we're just there are these massive numbers massive commitments that are being made in college athletics to producing winning programs and Penn state really should not be all that unfamiliar with this in the sense that Penn state had a club hockey team for forever. And Terry Pagula came in, wrote a hundred million dollar check. And now it has a nationally competitive men's D one hockey program. Like that's what it is. (laughs) That's, that's, that's what all of this is about.
0: Yeah. And, and part of it is. You know, one of the one of the larger things that that people talk about is the donor base and, and the largest alumni association in the world, and all those things from from Penn State. But the billionaires, the donors that have the deepest pockets that can make real differences, does Penn State have those to accelerate this process? And then you get into the conversation of if you have those, do you have people that are then too meddling when it comes to uh the influence they have because right now at least the way I read it is the real power brokers outside of the people that you know about are, are the Board of Trustees, which always cycles over but those are prominent figures in politics and in industry and those people are kind of the 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 influencers that in other places, especially in Texas or down south tend to be deep pocketed alums that are that are fanatical about the program. I guess is that, a, is that a fair assessment of how that would work in your opinion or are there guys that – or things I'm not considering when it comes to the – what, Sandy Barber's job or the next athletic director after her when it comes to the ability to get more donations, to get this to accelerate and then not not – because that's, I think, a part of it. The other part is where you're allocating your resources that the revenue you're generating as a university is because a lot of this stuff – nationally is also coming from donors it's not just the athletic budget it's kind of a bit of both and it seems yeah. like from what i've seen penn state is lagging behind in both areas i
1: i um so look like the numbers that are out there are are not they're too high for all of these programs and schools. To just have one person writing a check and then it's done. Right. Like the money comes in before they're willing to work on these projects. They're financed, guys. Like <laughs> these are these are financed projects. Uh they you you gotta borrow money and it comes from uh future revenues, it comes from the endowment, it comes like any variety of um different, different pools of funds. You got to be creative. Like you got to, there are, there are a lot of different ways to do this. But my point is, is that most of these places. And when I say most of, I mean, like 99% don't have a deposit into the bank account and then a shovel in the dirt the next day. That's not, that's just, it's it's not here. Um, I am
0: thinking in, in regular person, financial terms here. I am not moving large enough levers quickly enough. Cause that's a fair, no, point. but like, that's
1: a fair point. But like when, when you buy a house, most people aren't buying it in cash. Like you, you just, you're going to a bank and you're willing to pay the 4% or whatever the rate is on a house. Now, like that's, that's how the world works. <laughs> So, no, um, no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 Nate, as, as somebody who has been to an open house recently, when you walked in, the answer was there are already two offers. So you'll need to make your offer by today. And it has to be a firm offer. Also, it has to be 20,000 well, over asking price. So if you... I, <laughs> I,
1: I feel you, I feel you, I get it. Uh, but like you go to the bank and have that. I, yeah. My only, That's it is just, you got to finance these projects. And Penn state is in a position where like, I I get it. There's it's complicated. Uh, It it is a self independently operated arm of the university, right? So like Penn state athletics does not borrow from Penn state university to be able to do what it wants to do. Typically, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that might have to change. There, there might have to be some some operational things that um that shift for Penn State to be able to do that or to do some of these projects do some of the things that Penn State would need to do to be to match to catch up to the way that the rest of the the, the entire landscape of college football has gone over the last 10 to 15 years um and so that's you know back to the original statement of hoping that, you know, James Frank quote, hopefully we'll be able to get into specifics here soon. That's what that means is, Mm -hmm. is, is Penn state going to commit to doing all of these things to, to be competitive in that space. And I think that, that, that statement is a suggestion that Penn state is. And that he is attached to that, that that's, that is a shared goal.
0: I don't know if it's ironic that it's coming during one of the worst actual seasons that James Franklin has had, non-COVID seasons, during his time at Penn State, knowing that there aren't any sort of limiting factors that there were early in his career. This is probably the, the true first down year that he's had in terms of an unsuccessful campaign, and we're having these conversations, and might get resolution to these spending things at at a place where people are unhappy at six and four. Yeah. And, and is that, people, does that, does that underscore his point or does that undercut his point?
1: People have got to stop framing this in the micro. It, the health of the program is not about who your head coach is. Like I understand Nick Saban, right. Was, was, a guy at Alabama who yes, you want to lead the program and has had a ton of success. I I get it, but you don't make that investment into your football program because of who your head coach is. You make it because you want it to be positioned for success. No matter who the guy is legitimately like, do you think that Alabama football is realistically going to fall off the face of a cliff when Nick Saban retires Uh, UNC basketball, Duke basketball, right? Like you've got these, you've got these Titans of their sports with all the success in uh, college men's basketball, football, what have you, but those, all of those programs are positioned to maintain their success regardless of who the head coach is, and that That is the whole point of this, is it's not about this season. <laughs> it's not even about James Franklin. It's what do you want to be? And it's a decision.
0: So let me well, ask you what this. What do you want to be? I want to I want to wrap up with this because I promised we'd get you to breakfast. Um, this is all being framed on James Franklin. Yeah. So that is a part of the story because he is – because it's his job to inserting himself into this narrative. And I know that you're pulling back and saying, look at the broader picture, look at the bigger picture, because of uh, what the university is doing, regardless of the head coach. But he is the guy that is the inciting incident for this change. So how do you not view him as a part of that? How do you not view him as a part of the, uh, the, the tangible differences that might happen at Penn State? going forward because he's not the guy who did
1: it was bill O'Brien. He was the first, as soon as he got to Penn state, he started complaining about not having appropriate film machines, right? To like that. That's one of the things that we all remember is him talking about having to watch on VHS, (laughs) like some of the, some of the film, uh, Uh, like it was this, this like the point is everyone is trying to frame this as though this is something that's new, but James Franklin has been talking about this from the day that he got to Penn state mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he, like, uh, and, and obviously there was some, some lead in time. You don't want to start with that. Like, that's not how you, you want to arrive. Hey, I'm here now change everything that you're doing. That's not right. Like, that's not how any coach operates, but. Bill O'Brien saying the exact same things in 2012, as James Franklin started to say in, you know, what the spring of 2014, Mm -hmm. uh, right during the, the off season, like these are off season conversations that have to filter into the season based on some of the other happenings that, that have taken place, right. With some of the other job openings nationally, like understood. Yeah. But, I don't
0: think I don't think that people truly you do and that's why you're here that's why you're answering these questions and and by the way thank you I I'm getting an education here and I feel like I'm a well-versed person in this in this particular area. People don't understand that. And I think there's a certain population of people that don't care and they just want to see results that we're setting those people aside. Most people don't know about these things. Most people probably don't I know gotcha. about Bill O'Brien saying those things and and the memory of this is very short because a lot of people, what they do is they tune in on Saturdays. And then if you really love this, you're listening to this show and you're probably the most educated Penn State fan. You know, if you're watching this particular show, not to be, not to like be arrogant about what we do, but like you're taking the time to go listen to 25. What are we at now? 31 minutes, 31 minutes of this particular conversation. So, the the public is not educated about this particular topic on a large scale. So that's, I no. guess, the thing is James Franklin has brought it up and has made this a point, because you're right, he has brought this up in years past in off-seasons and in vague ways, but it has been, I think, in a in a large sense, a topic that as soon as it's brought up, it's, it's a board meeting so that everyone tunes out. But now it's come yeah. to the point where people can't ignore it. Just like we can't ignore the fact that we have to move on and we have to answer some questions. No! What's on your mind? This is a a perfectly sponsorable segment, by the way. Questions for T. Frank and Nate. I take these on Twitter and I answer them with Nate here on our segment in the middle of our Thursday show. Uh, Let's start with this one. I actually have two here from B-Furman12 and from Christian Molnar. Is there hope for improved QB play next year? And with only a few games remaining, how important is it for Penn State to get quality snap ups, uh, snaps from backup QBs, especially Christian Veyu? We talked about this early as far as Veyu. Should you have, to Brandon's point, should you have hope for improved quarterback play next year? I don't think it's been bad this
1: year. I would agree. Sean Clifford when Sean Clifford has been healthy. And so I think that the hope for Penn State fans should be that the next guy can approximate Sean Clifford's performance. <laughs> like I think that yeah. would be a very good result. I think that uh the hope the hope for Penn State fans should be an approximation of his performance and then big
0: strides on the offensive line at tight end,
1: and at running back.
0: Yes. I I think that's a, a great way to frame that. And an approximation of Sean Clifford's performance just means being a quality starter. Because what Sean Clifford doesn't deliver you is any of the gigantic upside plays. He doesn't deliver you anything that is a special throw necessarily. Uh, which is another question we got about, like what's wrong with Sean Clifford? Seems to hold on the ball forever. Yeah, so the high the high level plays of throwing the ball into zones as they open and close, hitting windows. He doesn't necessarily do that. He hits comeback routes. He has done a better job with the tight ends this year. Theo Johnson has been much better as far as a a, a, a target up the seam, but we're now at the end of his career at Penn State. I would assume. So you need to have somebody who can replicate some of that next year with an improved everything else, as you talked about. And, and this kind of bleeds into the conversation about uh, Rutgers is you're not going to get that opportunity this weekend if everything holds the way we've seen it. Even if two of those offensive linemen come back, they spent all week being sick. And I don't know if you've ever tried to recover from uh, from the flu and then go to the gym. Now imagine that, but you're doing elite physical activity. I, I just I, I, I don't see a good performance from the Penn State offense this week, and some people are are, are going to be unhappy about that. But the reality is, these guys had the flu and they're not Michael Jordan. Like let's remember that too. Not everyone I- is going to have an epic
1: flu game. I mean, have you seen a good offensive performance from this Penn
0: State team when everyone was healthy? (laughs) Right. Uh, Okay, so this one is just off the conversation we just had. David Greeter asks, if James Franklin had list three things he thought were important to improve the program, moving forward to compete for national titles, what would they be in your opinion? Quick, give me three, two or three. I'll allow you to do two if there are two that you think are paramount of importance. Um...
1: I think Haluba Hall needs work. Penn state's practice facility for sure. Um, They already have some construction underway at lash. The upstairs of lash needs to be done for the coaches and staff, which has expanded dramatically uh, with James Franklin, right? Like the staff size nationally is a big trend, but it, it has definitely expanded to where they are. They don't have the office space, the meeting space that they need for the staff size that they have. But I forget three. It's, it's attitude. Right. It's just, it, right. It's just, it's well, just, people a, want to checklist a, about what people, you want
0: to do. People like David. And I understand this of like, my wife said the other day and, and our, our, my in-laws are coming on Monday and oh, no. I can sense the tension building as far as we've got to get ready. Cause my mom's going to be here. So it's not my mom. So I don't have that tension and I don't know the list of things that we need to do. And, yep. and that's, I think, how people feel is, okay, if I have a list of five things, let's get them accomplished. Let's move on. Let's get this thing done. But to your point and to my wife's point, it's the attitude of why aren't you thinking of these things to fix because we need to fix these things. Is that a fair way how to about put that? This? How about this?
1: What your wife is thinking is aren't you looking around the house constantly and just doing it.
0: Yes, that's what I mean.
1: Yep. Yep. Whatever you see, like just do it. And don't eat, you shouldn't even have to ask her, "Hey, honey, should I empty the dishwasher with its clean dishes?" You know that those dishes need to be put away.
0: You think we have a you dishwasher? You know that. You're adorable. I know
1: that. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. So, no, this is this that's that's the basic premise of all of this is just uh if you're not if you're not looking for ways to improve constantly, you're
0: not trying. Yeah. That's it. Uh, so this is another great question that I think is uh, one that Penn State fans have asked me quite a bit. How do we quantify the season for Penn State football that they've had from where they started to where it is now? Because this is a large frustration that we talked about a little bit on our Monday live show. If you want to go back and watch that again of Penn State was 5-0 and and now they're 6-4. and Just the, the, how do you view this season from beginning to end as a narrative and how do you, how should fans feel about it? Um, It's a thinker. Ryan Ryan asks good questions.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's, it's tough because I think that the schedule was always going to be difficult. But it's probably actually more difficult than anyone anticipated. Uh, at yep. Wisconsin to start the season, everyone knew that was going to be difficult. What people didn't know is Michigan coming off of a two and four season yep. was going to be the number six team in the country when they yep. came to Penn State in November with one loss. What Penn State fans didn't know was that Michigan State would be nine and one. And projecting to potentially 9-2 and two by the time the Penn State
0: faces them. But point being is no, nobody knew that Michigan State would be that good. Yeah. Um, Coming off of last you season, know. you would have thought those two teams in particular would have been below Penn State in the pecking order based on, again, the false things we all learned from COVID about how yep. Michigan didn't have – Michigan had the same situation that Penn State did last year where they didn't have a healthy quarterback for large stretches of the season. Watch what happens when they have a healthy quarterback and they, they have some time to tinker with their offense. I, I
1: am I am so fixated on this right now, and, and I can't get off of it. I don't understand how we're talking about the 2020 season as a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because... Because Michigan is, and Michigan's the team that I'm looking at. Michigan went two and four last season. They lost to Penn State. They didn't play their last three games. Their last three games were included Iowa, which had won seven games to end the season or six, you know, whatever it was. They went on a big winning streak and Ohio State. <laughs> like Michigan very easily could have gone two and six, two and seven last season, but the fact that they had COVID or there were cancellations, whatever, Penn went four and five because they played all of their games. And so I wonder how Penn state season might have looked if after the Indiana game, when everything went colossally wrong, a couple of guys got COVID and didn't play the Ohio state game or didn't play the Iowa game, right? Like, I, I just. It's it just, it's, it's, it's very, it's very hard for me to, to be able to try to compare things and talk rationally from the 2020 season when not everyone played the same amount of game. And when I say not everyone, I mean, literally no one played the same amount of games yeah <laughs> nor against uh, comparable schedules. So I, I just,
0: um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it um... So back to this season, when you look at how this particular season unfolded, the fact that they were able to weather the storm early, I think that it just goes to show, first off, the, the difficulty of their schedule start to finish, and then the fragility, something you've talked about this season, of the narrow path they had to walk to success. And when they stumbled off of it, they have not been able to get back on. And I think that's yeah, the part that's been that's been frustrating for Penn State fans is you do see the games against Michigan that they should have won. Truthfully, and I this is, you know, you always get this from people, but like there's no reason that offense should have been superior. Because it wasn't. Penn State just didn't play well offensively, and the defense for Michigan was good. And when you have yep. that mix of things, Penn State Penn State has beaten comparable teams so far this season. They have beaten comparable teams to Michigan. I don't think Michigan is as good as their record. That being said, they have some overwhelming strengths and some lack of weaknesses that made them the better team on Saturday. But if Penn State was able to, they could have won that game. I don't necessarily think there was another game on their schedule with the way it played out where they was, ah, we should have won X because the, the injuries to Sean Clifford happened you know yeah. you could you if and and but and or the, against michigan he was healthy you had your full complement on offense as far as what you're going to have at that point in the season and they they missed that game but the rest of them it, it just as you pointed out shows how fragile that season was in particular
1: i think that i think that some of the frustration of penn state fans is tied to the notion that they could have won three of the four games that they lost yeah, they could have beaten Iowa even without Sean Clifford. Uh, you don't have to give up a forty touchdown uh, on a trick play at the end of the game. Like you don't, you don't have to necessarily lose that game. You, you definitely did not have to lose Iowa or Illinois, excuse me. Yep, there were plenty of opportunities for Penn State to win that game, and I mean, plenty of opportunities, including playing like garbage for four quarters. And still having a chance to yeah. win nine overtime. Like there yeah. were so many chances for Penn State to on the last play of the game, like be the last play, a walk-off win. Penn State had those opportunities, yep. didn't do it. And at Ohio State, I don't think you blame them, right? Like it, it yeah. is what it is. Ohio yeah. State's just really good. Uh but Michigan, same deal is is you don't have to lose that game. I understand that conversation. My argument, however, to the converse is Penn state easily could have lost at Wisconsin and Penn state easily could have lost to Auburn. So really in those games that are decided by single digit points, Penn state is two and four, which is not exactly what you want. Obviously you want to be six and oh, but it's also not oh and six.
0: Yeah, Uh, you you can settle for four and two or five and one. You don't need to be six and oh, but you do need to be on the plus side of that. Uh, Our next question. Comes from Peter, and he says the Lunmore 4.0 spot on the last daily was fire. Appreciate that. I was told that I wasn't classy enough before, so I classed it up a little bit. Seems like Clifford holds on the ball too long, and receiver, our receiver's getting open. Is he afraid to throw to a spot, and is he taking too long with his progression? What's the deal? And if uh, Peter is referring to specifically the Michigan game, it's a little bit of everything, and that's what I I said coming into the game is. Penn State's receivers are going to have to win more than they lose against the Michigan defenders because you can win some of those reps, but Michigan, when they play single coverage, one of two things is going to happen. Clifford is going to break the pocket, and he's going to scramble, or he's going to get sacked because those have been kind of the situations that he's seen so far this year. There were times when Michigan got Penn State, and this happens in every game where the offense calls a play, and the defense, they figured it out. And they ran the right coverage. That happens to every offense coordinator. There are some plays you just lose because that's the nature of 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 contests. That's the name that of competition. That's what happens. You don't win every single one of them. The problems that I we're knew. running into. Yes, you do. You you absolutely <laughs> do. You're a winner in all things because you've chosen to be, and that mindset will get you very far. the The problem with Sean Clifford was, unlike Kate McNamara when he got into a sticky spot, Cade McNamara would dump the ball off or he would he was let me let me phrase that. He was never put in that situation because Michigan's offense plays scared. And again, I I'm going to talk about this because they ran crossing routes and scored 21 points. They ran routes that were 4 yards deep and ran the ball almost 50 times. That shouldn't win. That shouldn't win because Sean Clifford and that offense are more aggressive and they're more explosive and they proved it with better concepts down the field. They just couldn't get in the end zone. And that's where you got to give credit to to Michigan is the red zone defense was good. Unlike Penn State's Joey Porter Jr. specifically that gave up two touchdowns on Saturday. So Sean Clifford, it's a little bit of column A, a little column B. But to me, as I've said before, that's who he is. He's not going to deliver you the epic performance that's going to win you games. He's going to keep you in them and give you the opportunity for those but he's not going to always deliver. I think we've seen that pretty clearly so far. Uh, this comes from Tom G, PSU number one. Do you believe the problems at wide receiver below Dotson, Franklin could look to bring in a transfer portal wide receiver? This is something I talked about on the daily on Monday or Tuesday, as far as Penn State's reluctance to get into the transfer portal, I think got them into the situation they're, they're in this year. Do you think they've done enough on the recruiting side of things to avoid having to do this, or should they be looking at a receiver to be explosive in the portal. And this is, this is Tom's question and I'll phrase it the way I did. If Penn state's number one goal is to be explosive, why don't you have more options beyond Keandre Lambert Smith and Parker Washington, who are sophomores at best at this point. So do you think that that's a valid way to look at that? And should they address that in the portal to get at least one more veteran player to buttress those guys next year?
1: Um, you know, look, like if it's there, sure, but I, I think that there's an, a, people are ignoring the fact that Harrison Wallace has a decent amount of buzz and is a guy who is athletic, uh, jumps out of the building, does right? Like he, yeah. he presents He's some of those right? Hyperathletic, uh, Malik Mega is a guy who had some, some buzz last year. Even, um, you know, there, there are players on the team just because you haven't seen them because they can't beat out, uh, necessarily Parker Washington or Jahan. I mean, first of all, nobody's beating out. uh, I don't think anybody's going to beat out Parker Washington. No, but I think, I think the question—I think you might see Keandre Lambert
0: Smith get beat out, though.
1: So <laughs> I think Malik Mega might be on the field more this week.
0: So that—that that is. Uh, so I guess that's the—that's the question of you arrived in a place where Cam Sullivan Brown and—and and yesterday he answered our questions. He's a—I—I I immediately understood when I met Cam Sullivan Brown why that staff trusts him to be in that situation because he's clearly an earnest. Uh, um smart young man that they want to put out in those yep. situations and give the opportunity to make plays. That being said, his physical talent has been sapped by all of the injuries. There's just no way around it. The, his career has been derailed by that. So then you got you you find yourself in the situation where you got two tight ends, Parker Washington and Cam Sullivan Brown, on the field because you can't trust Keandre Lambert Smith to catch the ball. That's the question of have they done enough to be explosive? And the guys that you're talking about. Canadian wide receiver making his transition to the uh, to college football in America, and a true freshman. And this is the transfer portal conversation of, you are relying on two redshirt freshmen at best with Lambert Smith and Parker Washington. And the guys that we're going to talk about that are a part of the conversation going forward are all going to be freshmen. So there's the consistency issue that James Franklin talks about. Is that an avenue to go get somebody else? My, my assertion would be yes. You still need to go out and find a guy that can push these guys and make them earn it because they're all very young. And even Harrison Smith, very raw from his Wallace. high school film. I'm sorry, Harrison yeah. Wallace. Harrison Smith no, plays you. safety for the Vikings.
1: Uh, Jaden Dotton is another guy. Had a little bit of, bu- I keep using buzz. That's the only. Well,
0: it's because word I know it, it's, it's the word that we get. So you ask people who they're going to talk about, and then the name comes up, and that's what we get because we don't see them on the yeah. field. So, And that's why yeah. I'm always a little wary about those things too. But you're right. It is the information we get as far as who are the guys that are standing out amongst their peers according to their peers.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that that's – I think that that is um, – I think it's fair. I just think that um, there there is some potential – waiting in the wings for one reason or another, right? Guys who got injured, guys who, mm-hmm. um, weren't, uh, as far along in their development. And, and it's, it's this constant conversation of who for, for somebody to get on the field, somebody has to come off. Yep. And. And that's the that's the constant back and forth that's the constant equation and and challenge that coaches have to to, to face um but i, I don't think I, I don't think that there is necessarily a an absence of talent at receiver i, I actually yeah. i feel somewhat of all the position groups that's one where i would say like let's compare it to running back for instance right yeah we've seen all the running backs. Yep. Visually. We've we've watched every single one of them. <laughs> and maybe, maybe it's uh you know the the
0: Don't make me talk the, about it. You know, the devil you know versus the one that you don't.
1: Um but like I, I think that there's I, I think that the fact that we haven't seen some of these guys at receiver doesn't necessarily preclude them yeah. from being able to be uh, pretty solid next season.
0: Yeah, and and I should I, this is where I've kind of shifted in my development as an evaluator and somebody who's covering, you know, the recruiting end all the way into the football application is I love upside, I love Malik Mega, I love the idea of Malik Mega at six four runs like a sprinter, he is a big intimidating receiver. Uh, you've got Liam Clifford, who I think is a high floor player, who is a good route runner already, and you know great hands, all those things. They're redshirting him to be ready for next year. So I'm not saying that uh, I don't think that there's talent. My point, I guess, is that I thought Parker Washington was phenomenal, and he's been he's been good. You're relying on freshmen, and and the more I watch yep. this, the more inconsistent that becomes, and the more you're relying on an unknown. And I think that that's how the coaching staff feels. And, and that's kind of where I'm trying to, I feel like we flipped positions early in the year. I was looking, when we were talking about our confidence factor in the depth chart and the talent at certain positions, that was unproven. And you were saying veteran guys, veteran guys, veteran guys. And I'm saying, well, what about these young, talented players? We've completely flipped on this conversation. Uh, one last thing Malik, I want to get to. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Malik Mega is Malik going to be a
1: third year player next year. Yep. Like he, he will have been in the program. He will be in his third year. That's that's reasonable to start to expect somebody like that to make a, a pretty significant contribution.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's a that's that's a fair point. So, uh, you know, I think that that story is still yet to be written. Let's see. We have one, two more questions. Well, one more question, and I want to get to this one because it is the holiday season. It's a time to be thankful. We're a week away from Thanksgiving. So, Honest Jay Paterno says progress happens too slowly to notice. Setbacks happen quickly, and we ignore them. Where's the progress over the past two seasons that we aren't seeing? What's positive? We always talk. We we sat here for almost an hour now talking about all these things that need to be fixed or addressed from a program level all the way down to uh, an individual player level. What are the good things, Nate? Give us some Thanksgiving. That that question sounded like a Chinese proverb. It was very
1: parabolic. It was very much a parable. (laughs) I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, I'm going to steal that. Um, no, nah, look. Uh, I know nobody wants to hear it. Penn State's running game has been better over the last two weeks. Yep, yep, demonstrably better. Um, it, it still hasn't hasn't made necessarily the stride um, in terms of the explosive plays, but it's it's been better. Um, you know, look, like the defense has been outstanding this season. I, I don't know that. Again, there are so many, like people look at the defense and see how many players won't be back next year, but they're, they're forgetting the players who will be back, who weren't able to play this year or who didn't, you know, for one reason or um, have missed some or all of the season, Uh, you know, and then after that, I, I, you and I talked about this yesterday, the tight ends have had some disappointing performances for sure, but Mike Jasicki was terrible his sophomore year. Yep. And came back and is now an elite tight end in the NFL. Like, is he a tight end? Maybe.
0: Is he Whatever. a tight end? Listen, and this Doesn't is this matter. is a total aside. I'm going to derail us because I I First off, he's he's a Miami Dolphin, so there's a problem. But secondly, there's no excuse for him not being able to block. He's 252 pounds. He is a big dude. Like, he should be able to block. That was always my he biggest problem. Wanna. I understand. So then he's not a tight end. Like, okay. You know, that's, but that's just, that's just me being, uh, that that is me being a, um, a an intense sporting parent of seeing more potential and then not getting it. And then being like disappointed because, you know, you could be so much more but let, that's let neither him here nor there. He's let, him,
1: due, let him write his own story, pal. He's an insane
0: okay? receiver. He is very good at being able to, you know, go up and get the contested catch and all that stuff. So, total aside. But yeah, uh, Theo Johnson has gotten better. Uh, and, and if you don't mind, I'm just going to mention individual players and kind of the progress that I think is important to point out. Ellis Brooks has turned into an all Big Ten linebacker. And a guy with that profile, if you're saying players don't develop in this program, and that's been a huge thing that people that want to be detractors of this coaching staff point to is, like, guys aren't developing. Ellis Brooks developed into a good football, like, a really good football player. Brandon Smith has been getting better in the box each week. He has been becoming a more physical presence in the run game. Uh, you look at guys at receiver. You mentioned Theo Johnson. I think he's gotten better. Sometimes the individual has to do some of the work. It's not like you just go out there and and uh, uh, mind meld with a football player and then they know all the things you know. Like They have to put in the work to do it as well, and you see the guys that do that. Malik Mega seems to be a guy that is putting in the work to become a good football player. So there is some progress, and it's not just the young guys, right? So this time of year, we're all focusing on the young guys that are going to be back next year. That What's the hope that springs eternal? Also focus on the guys that turned into good football players because that's the process that's going to happen again once more. Our last question, Nate, is actually a statement. Jesse Lucchetta? Yes, thank you. There you go. There is a perfect example of a guy uh, in a situation that I don't think any of us saw coming, but the coaching staff, they saw it coming. So our last thing I want to get out of here on this because I think this is another really important thing, and I love this. Unfettered says, why does Penn State football make me so sad, T. Frank? I'm a grown man. It shouldn't affect affect me this much. Answer me that. I love the self-awareness here. I love the ability to see one's own soul. So I just wanted to end on a little bit of, of uh, self-awareness and humanity, Nate. I thought that was great. And again, we head into the uh, holiday week.
1: I've, I've had some conversations with... Um... You know, outside of the forum context with some fans, some followers, that kind of stuff, uh, just private conversations this week. And I can't, it, it, I see two things. They're so mad. They're so frustrated. Yep. And just at their wits' end. And I see that and I say, hey, if Penn State could bottle that up and find a way to convert that into development and progress for the program that that would be good for Penn state football. Yeah. The other thing that I see is, and, and again, like this is kind of a reflection on the disconnect of doing this for 17 years and not being a fan because I don't get it anymore. <laughs> like, I don't understand. I don't even understand the, the concept of like, having your day be even slightly thrown askew by the result of a football game, which is like, (laughs) I I understand how that sounds, but it, me, it says, oh, well, no, you are truly objective about this. You are truly just calling balls and strikes and seeing it for what it is. And it it's no sweat off your back either way. And that's, that, that is what I always want to do. That's what I'm striving to do is present an unfiltered look to people, but I get it. Like yeah. you, there, there is, there is a ton of frustration, and and like you said, the 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 parent side of things of seeing potential unrealized. I, I totally understand, yeah. but I would, I would simply argue for Penn State football that, you know, under James Franklin's leadership, Penn State has worked its way out of situations like this before. And history doesn't necessarily dictate it, but it's like people did not expect Penn State to be what eight and in two thousand nineteen. Mm-hmm. Going in, like nobody, nobody predicted an eleven to an eleven and two season coming off of whatever that
0: was. Two thousand five, two thousand nineteen.
1: You mean? That's what I'm saying. Well. Yeah. 2019's performance, coming off of a 2018 season right. where they lost a ton of players, yep, and didn't have that good of a year for Trace McSorley's senior season. Yep, uh, 2015 was not a good year. Going into 2016, yep. where obviously they you know go to the Rose Bowl. So um, no, I, I I think that I think that when people take a step back, they they are they they don't initially see some of the reasons for optimism, but they, they should be there. Um, they, they've done this before.
0: And uh, I want, because we're we're, we're we're more than out of time, but I always like to give a quick preview of the game, and we didn't quite get to that. So I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis of what I saw on film today, or this week on Rutgers. First off, Rutgers wants to play man coverage. They don't always because they're bad at it. So Penn State, if they have an offensive line, it's another game where they can score points. Defensively, Rutgers is good at stopping the run. Does that matter? And also, they're good at stopping the run in comparison to where they were previously. Offensively, they have no explosive talent. So Penn State shouldn't have a problem with them. The only thing I'd say is Noah Vedral is a, the first actual dual threat quarterback they're going to face this year. So Penn State's emphasis on keeping quarterbacks in the pocket and not opening up running lanes That's going to be tested for the first time this year as far as actually a guy that can then break the pocket and run downfield. They're going to be facing a Sean Clifford-like quarterback who doesn't throw the ball nearly as well. So again, Rutgers, they play tough football. So it might be close because, Nate, as you've said, that's what this year is going to be. So that's your quick thumbnail of Rutgers. Are you ready for this weekend? Are you excited? Pound the under.
1: Whatever, (laughs) Whatever it is, it's too high
0: six to three oh I no i'm the- not i'm not excited at all but i'll <laughs> i'll go i'll do it it's the job well, that's the bwi daily edition we'll be back tomorrow ryan snyder's best bets more on penn state and rutgers in that as we always talk about the game that's our featured game of the week in his best bets and of course recruiting news to end the week the bwi live show will be after penn state and rutgers tom hannafin joining me he is off assignment and back on the post game show all of that coming up this week from blue white illustrated make sure you subscribe